the Bible, the most unique book in all of human history. It claims to be divine in origin, and it delivers a message that, if true, affects every human being on the planet Earth, in this life, and in whatever awaits us when this life is over. The Bible is unique in its survival. Over the past 2,000 years, no other book has been subjected to the intense scrutiny that the Bible has endured. Generations of linguists, historians, and archaeologists have explored the details of the Bible's production and tested the accuracy of its transmission to us today. Critics and foes have come and gone. Problems have been raised and solved, and still the Bible stands. Totally alone in the degree of its historical accuracy and reliability. The Bible is also unique in foretelling future events. The Old Testament alone contains over 2,000 specific predictions about people, cities, nations, and empires. Predictions made hundreds of years before being perfectly fulfilled in history. The Bible is unique in its influence. It's been called the fountainhead of Western civilization and is by far the most quoted text in America's founding documents. Millions of men, women, and children from every station and walk of life have felt the liberating, redeeming power of this book of books, and their changed lives have changed the world and the course of history. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar is your opportunity to hear this unique book, the entire Bible, every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Soapy Dollar. And here we are. Right on time, in the right place, and we're going to have a great time reading from the Scriptures. We're continuing our way through the book of Genesis, chapter 40, and we're going to read through chapter 42 tonight. We've been following the experiences of Abraham and Isaac, and now Jacob and Esau, his sons. Jacob, we followed his long life experience of coming around to faith in the true and living God. And now we're picking up on this young man, very remarkable son, out of 12 sons and a daughter that Jacob has, there is this one named Joseph. And of course, songs have been written about him and stories have been told about his coat of many colors and the favoritism that his father showed to him, Jacob did. These amazing dreams that Joseph had where he saw himself exalted uh, at the center and that the, the sheaves of grain that represented his brothers and even his father that they bowed to his, and then later on, what was the second one of the stars, right, that bowed down to his? Everyone's so jealous and angry at him for that. Now, his father was a little bit insulted by the dream. Then it says, but Jacob thought about these things. He heard Joseph explain his dream, but while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Tiny little details and phrases in the narrative always intrigue me as to what was going on. Because these are real people, folks. These are real men and women and marriages and family life and brothers and sisters and and uh, political situations. Now we're getting into some of the politics of the era, the time in which they lived. Egypt was the great power of that era, of this time. And uh, there comes this famine in the land and Joseph is sold by his brothers down into Egypt as a slave. Instead of killing him, Reuben says, oh, no, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him to these people. So they sold their brother down the river, and uh, he went to Egypt. And we're following now his experiences there. He is put in prison 
the one who purchased him, a man named Potiphar, who is an officer in Pharaoh's royal guard. A little drama between Joseph and Potiphar's wife caused Joseph to get thrown into prison. We'll catch you up before we start that reading tonight. But right now, let's go to our wisdom and worship segment in the Psalms and the Proverbs. We're going to pick up on Psalm 12 this evening, the proud, lying words of people versus the true, pure words of God and a call for protection against those who try to manipulate us. Psalm 12. Help, O Lord, for the godly are fast disappearing. The faithful have vanished from the earth. Neighbors lie to each other, speaking with flattering lips and insincere hearts. May the Lord bring their flattery to an end and silence their proud tongues. They say we will lie to our heart's content. Our lips are our own. Who can stop us? The Lord replies, I have seen violence done to the helpless, and I have heard the groans of the poor. Now I will rise up to rescue them, as they have longed for me to do. The Lord's promises are pure, like silver refined in a furnace, purified seven times over. Therefore, Lord, we know you will protect the oppressed, preserving them forever from this lying generation, even though the wicked strut about and evil is praised throughout the land. End of reading, Psalm 12. I've been here grounded for two I'm ready to sing the open wide, ready to sing a different song. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. That's the way I feel. Uh, <laughs> every week or so, I, I say, okay, Lord, if you wanted to come back today, that would be just fine. I'd love it. I'm ready to go home. Every now and then I say that. All my life I've really thought that way from time to time as I've walked with the Lord these years now. About 54 years I've been knowing the Lord and walking with Him with some frequency. It gets to where I'm just a little tarred. A little worn out, and I say, okay, Lord, if you want to come on back today, I'm ready to go home to begin that eternity with you. Other days, I say, okay, Lord, you can wait a little bit if you'd like. Things are exciting and great. Most of the time, that's it. I'm pretty optimistic, happy guy, actually, with what the Lord has given to us and the opportunities of serving him here, especially in these times. These are troubled, difficult times we live in, and they open up opportunities of ministry that are just phenomenal. And that's one thing we're going to see here in the life of Joseph. Joseph's difficulties, the famine that his family faces back in Canaan, as Jacob and his family are literally, we are told, that they're on the brink of dying of starvation. God is actually preparing the way right now to save their lives. They don't know it, but that's what's happening. Joseph gets sold by his brothers. They mean it for evil. Yes, they have wrong motives, and they're doing a very bad, wicked, evil thing. But God uses it still for good. For blessing, even to them, ultimately. Joseph has been sent down into Egypt. He's been sold to a military officer named Potiphar in Pharaoh's palace guard. 
No coincidences there. God knows exactly what he's doing. Potiphar didn't worry about anything except what kind of food to eat. One of our listeners called in last night, a Jewish background, and according to our Jewish listener, that was a saying that he was only worried about his wife because he knew she was a loose woman. And so she did. She makes a move on Joseph. Joseph turns it down. She lies about him then, and Joseph gets sent into prison. Now, we're going to see how God uses that situation, uses Joseph's unique gifts at interpreting dreams to get him out of this situation. The Bible lies. Genesis 41 through 42:38. Genesis 40. Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended him. Pharaoh became very angry with these officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was in the palace of Potiphar, the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and Potiphar assigned Joseph to take care of them. One night, the cupbearer and the baker each had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning. The next morning, Joseph noticed the dejected look on their faces. Why do you look so worried today, he asked. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but there is no one here to tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Tell me what you saw. The cupbearer told his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a vine in front of me. It had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon there were clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed the juice into it. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. I know what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches mean three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will take you out of prison and return you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please have some pity on me when you are back in his favor. Mention me to Pharaoh and ask him to let me out of here. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews. And now I'm here in jail, but I did nothing to deserve it. When the chief baker saw that the first dream had such a good meaning, he told his dream to Joseph too. In my dream, he said, there were three baskets of pastries on my head. In the top basket were all kinds of bakery goods for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them. I'll tell you what it means, Joseph told him. The three baskets mean three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will cut off your head and impale your body on a pole. Then birds will come and peck away at your flesh. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he gave a banquet for all his officials and household staff. He sent for his chief cupbearer and chief baker, and they were brought to him from the prison. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position, but he sentenced the chief baker to be impaled on a pole, just as Joseph had predicted. Pharaoh's cupbearer, however, promptly forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Genesis 41. Two years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, seven fat, healthy-looking cows suddenly came up out of the river and began grazing along its bank. Then seven other cows came up from the river, but these were very ugly and gaunt. These cows went over and stood beside the fat cows. Then the thin, ugly cows ate the fat ones. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up. Soon he fell asleep again and had a second dream. This time he saw seven heads of grain on one stalk, with every kernel well-formed and plump. Then suddenly seven more heads appeared on the stalk, but these were shriveled and withered by the east wind, and these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads. Then Pharaoh woke up again and realized it was a dream. The next morning, as he thought about it, 
Pharaoh became very concerned as to what the dreams might mean. So he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt and told them about his dreams. But not one of them could suggest what they meant. Then the king's cupbearer spoke up. Today I have been reminded of my failure, he said. Some time ago you were angry with the chief baker and me, and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. One night the chief baker and I each had a dream, and each dream had a meaning. We told the dreams to a young Hebrew man who was a servant of the captain of the guard. He told us what each of our dreams meant, and everything happened just as he said it would. I was restored to my position as cupbearer, and the chief baker was executed and impaled on a pole. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was brought hastily from the dungeon. After a quick shave and change of clothes, he went in and stood in Pharaoh's presence. I had a dream last night, Pharaoh told him, and none of these men can tell me what it means. But I have heard that you can interpret dreams, and that is why I have called for you. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God will tell you what it means and will set you at ease. So Pharaoh told him the dream. I was standing on the bank of the Nile River, he said. Suddenly seven fat, healthy-looking cows came up out of the river and began grazing along its bank. But then seven other cows came up from the river. They were very thin and gaunt. In fact, I've never seen such ugly animals in all the land of Egypt. These thin, ugly cows ate up the seven fat ones that had come up out of the river first. But afterward, they were still as ugly and gaunt as before. Then I woke up. A little later, I had another dream. This time, there were seven heads of grain on one stalk, and all seven heads were plump and full. Then, out of the same stalk, came seven withered heads shriveled by the east wind, and the withered heads swallowed up the plump ones. I told these dreams to my magicians. But not one of them could tell me what they mean. Both dreams mean the same thing, Joseph told Pharaoh. God was telling you what he is about to do. The seven fat cows and the seven plump heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin, ugly cows and the seven withered heads of grain represent seven years of famine. This will happen just as I have described it. For God has shown you what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterward, there will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten and wiped out. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so terrible that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for having the dream twice, it means that the matter has been decreed by God and that he will make these events happen soon. My suggestion is that you find the wisest man in Egypt and put him in charge of a nationwide program. Let Pharaoh appoint officials over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food and grain of these good years into the royal storehouses and store it away so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough food to eat when the seven years of famine come. Otherwise, disaster will surely strike the land, and all the people will die. You're listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his advisors. As they discussed who should be appointed for the job, Pharaoh said, Who could do it better than Joseph? For he is a man who is obviously filled with the Spirit of God. Turning to Joseph, Pharaoh said, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, you are the wisest man in the land. I hereby appoint you to direct this project. You will manage my household and organize all my people. 
Only I will have a rank higher than yours. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh placed his own signet ring on Joseph's finger as a symbol of his authority. He dressed him in beautiful clothing and placed the royal gold chain about his neck. Pharaoh also gave Joseph the chariot of his second-in-command. And wherever he went, the command was shouted, Kneel down! So Joseph was put in charge of all Egypt. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am the king, but no one will move a hand or a foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. Pharaoh renamed him Zaphnath-Paniah and gave him a wife, a young woman named Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of Heliopolis. So Joseph took charge of the entire land of Egypt. He was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And when Joseph left Pharaoh's presence, he made a tour of inspection throughout the land. And sure enough, for the next seven years, there were bumper crops everywhere. During those seven years, Joseph took a portion of all the crops grown in Egypt and stored them for the government in nearby cities. After seven years, the granaries were filled to overflowing. There was so much grain, like sand on the seashore, that the people could not keep track of the amount. During this time, before the arrival of the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of Heliopolis. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and the family of my father. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my suffering. At last, the seven years of plenty came to an end. Then the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had predicted. There were crop failures in all the surrounding countries, too. But in Egypt, there was plenty of grain in the storehouses. Throughout the land of Egypt, the people began to starve. They pleaded with Pharaoh for food, and he told them, Go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. So with severe famine everywhere in the land, Joseph opened up the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. And people from surrounding lands also came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe throughout the world. This is the Bible Life with Soapy Dollar. Genesis 42. When Jacob heard that there was grain available in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you standing around looking at one another? I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down and buy some for us before we all starve to death. So Joseph's ten older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother Benjamin go with them, however, for fear some harm might come to him. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food, for the famine had reached Canaan as well. Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of the sale of the grain, it was to him that his brothers came. They bowed low before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized them instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger. Where are you from? he demanded roughly. From the land of Canaan, they replied, we have come to buy grain. Joseph's brothers didn't recognize him, but Joseph recognized them, and he remembered the dreams he had had many years before. He said to them, you are spies. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my lord, they exclaimed, we have come to buy food. We are all brothers and honest men, sir. We are not spies. Yes, you are, he insisted. You have come to discover how vulnerable the famine has made us. Sir, they said, there are twelve of us brothers, and our father is in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is there with our father, 
and one of our brothers is no longer with us. But Joseph insisted, As I said, you are spies. This is how I will test your story. I swear by the life of Pharaoh that you will not leave Egypt unless your youngest brother comes here. One of you go and get your brother. I'll keep the rest of you here bound in prison. Then we'll find out whether or not your story is true. If it turns out that you don't have a younger brother, then I'll know you are spies. So he put them all in prison for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I am a God-fearing man. If you do as I say, you will live. We'll see how honorable you really are. Only one of you will remain in prison. The rest of you may go on home with grain for your families. But bring your youngest brother back to me. In this way, I will know whether or not you are telling me the truth. If you are, I will spare you. To this they agreed. Speaking among themselves, they said, This has all happened because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his terror and anguish and heard his pleadings, but we wouldn't listen. That's why this trouble has come upon us. Didn't I tell you not to do it, Reuben asked, but you wouldn't listen. And now we are going to die because we murdered him. You're listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. Of course, they didn't know that Joseph understood them as he was standing there, for he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. Now he left the room and found a place where he could weep. Returning, he talked some more with them. He then chose Simeon from among them and had him tied up right before their eyes. Joseph then ordered his servants to fill the men's sacks with grain, but he also gave secret instructions to return each brother's payment at the top of his sack. He also gave them provisions for their journey. So they loaded up their donkeys with the grain and started for home. But when they stopped for the night and one of them opened his sack to get some grain to feed the donkeys, he found his money in the sack. Look, he exclaimed to his brothers, my money is here in my sack. They were filled with terror and said to each other, what has God done to us? So they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan and told him all that had happened. The man who is ruler over the land spoke very roughly to us, they told him. He took us for spies, but we said we are honest men, not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of one father. One brother has disappeared, and the youngest is with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the ruler of the land, told us, This is the way I will find out if you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me, and take grain for your families and go on home. But bring your youngest brother back to me. Then I will know that you are honest men and not spies. If you prove to be what you say, then I will give you back your brother, and you may come as often as you like to buy grain. As they emptied out the sacks, there at the top of each one was the bag of money paid for the grain. Terror gripped them as it did their father. Jacob exclaimed, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph has disappeared, Simeon is gone, and now you want to take Benjamin too. Everything is going against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may kill my two sons if I don't bring Benjamin back to you. I'll be responsible for him. But Jacob replied, My son will not go down with you, for his brother Joseph is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children. If anything should happen to him, you would bring my gray head down to the grave in deep sorrow. End of reading, Genesis 41 through 42, 38. To the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Been, been fear, me down the 
there's just no better storytelling than this. This is a real individual. He lives in real time and space in a political setting. I would encourage you, if you want to study this a little further, Google the story of Joseph. You can Google the history of Egypt. You'll find that somewhere in this period of time here, there is a line of pharaohs, of rulers over Egypt, called the Hyksos, H-Y-K-S-O-S. They were not native to Egypt. They were monotheistic, and they had their roots up in Canaan. This explains to some degree why he embraces Joseph in such a positive way. Being able to interpret dreams probably needs no explanation. After he saw the wisdom and the power that was demonstrated through that capability, Joseph evidently was a remarkable individual in and of himself. There was a certain presence. There was a certain confidence that he inspired in others. But this Hyksos Pharaoh is open to, then, the influence of Canaanite or monotheistic individual like Joseph. Later on after this, another pharaoh rises up that doesn't know Joseph, and this is also contained in the Egyptian history that this man was overturned, and all memory of this person was erased from much of Egyptian history because traditionally they were not monotheistic. They had a pantheon of God. But it all comes down to this young man. He's 17 years old. He gets sold by his brothers into slavery, into Egypt, owned by a military person of the, the palace guard of Pharaoh, Then he's thrown into prison, wrongly found guilty of this crime with the wife of Potiphar, and thrown into prison. There in the prison, he interprets the dreams of these two individuals. Somehow Joseph has the faith and the confidence to launch. Even if I felt that way about what somebody else dreamed, I'm not sure I'd have the confidence to say, hey, you're going to get killed in three days. But Joseph does it. And then, of course, he tells the Pharaoh, Pharaoh brings him forth to interpret this dream about the head of grain and the seven fat, then seven lean cows. Joseph does that, then he's put in charge. Somewhere around age 30, he rises from a slave, a prisoner, to the second position in all of Egypt. Then seven years later, his brothers, after at least the, the time of plenty has gone by, he is somewhere around 40 years of age, his brothers come down and they do not recognize Joseph, who has now remembered the dreams about the heads of grain and about the stars. It's come to pass. There's not a great need for commentary (laughs) on this passage. It is really very clear. It's straightforward. It's very understandable. There is really not much room for confusion about what the story said and what happened. It's just a God thing, God working in the life of this individual. And, of course, it's not all about Joseph. This whole thing, remember, has a context. It's about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's about this people group that God has chosen, a covenant people that God is saving. And why is he saving them? Because through their lineage is to come the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Joseph always gave credit to God. And a great priority of his life was serving others. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America. And your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live. P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now 
don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's Word. 